Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Do you truly desire to grow spiritually, to mature into a very useful vessel for God's purposes in this world? If you sincerely say, yes, I do, this is my passion, this is what I pray daily, then a very good book to study is the epistle of Yaakov, also known as James. So with that said, take out your Bible and look there with me. The book of James and chapter 4. Now, James is going to give us much spiritual truth in order that we do not become a manipulated vessel of the enemy. See, you can be a believer. Your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life. But if you violate spiritual truth, you do not put into practice biblical principles in your life. You are going to be weak spiritually. You're not going to be informed spiritually. And you will easily be used, manipulated by the enemy. And this is exactly what Yaakov is going to tell us in this fourth chapter. And when we look at believing communities today, we see so frequently that there is disunity and there is conflict, oftentimes very serious conflict. And what is the source of this conflict? Well, this is how this fourth chapter of this epistle begins. So look there with me. The epistle of Yaakov, also known as James, chapter 4, and beginning with verse 1. He asks a question, one that we need to consider. He says, from where? And then he uses a word for strife or conflict. It's also used other places in the New Covenant for the concept of wars. So any type of conflict, strife before individuals, we can see it between a few, many, even between nations. So from where do wars and other quarrels among you? He wants to know where do they come from? And he says, is it not from there, and he's going to give the answer. From your passions, desires, what you want. Now, here's what he's going to reveal to us. When I am committed to what I want in the flesh, what seems right in my eyes, when I pursue my objectives apart from God's plan, his will, Apart from his revelation to me, when I am committed to what I want, what's the outcome of that? There's going to be wars, 
conflicts, strife, division among individuals. It's just that simple to understand. Whenever individuals are led by self, my selfish desires are going to conflict with other people's selfish desires. But if I am committed to the purposes of God, and you are committed to the purposes of God, then God is going to fit us together. He is going to bring unity, and what I do according to his will, and what you do according to his will, it is going to work magnificently together. And when each person does that, the scripture tells us that we are going to be built up in to the temple of God, meaning that God's glory is going to be manifested and his presence is going to be there with us, within us, functioning in order that, just what I said, his glory might be manifested. So these conflicts, these wars, he says, we know where they are from. Are they not from your passions, your desires, that war in the midst of you, in the midst of your members? And then he says, look now at verse 2. It just comes down to something so basic. He says, you desire something, you want something, and you do not have. And because you want that, and that can become a very powerful desire. And it can rule or dominate an individual. And when you are ruled by your desires, you are an instrument controlled by the enemy. And this is what Yaakov is wanting to warn us. We're going to see that the enemy is going to be mentioned in a few minutes. And I'm speaking about Hasatan, the devil. So he writes, you desire and you do not have, you cannot obtain it. So what happens? Notice the next word. You kill. Now, this word usually has to do with murdering someone taking a life. But what the scripture is teaching us here is that when I pursue what I want, instead of one who is ministering life, bringing about an abundant life, I'm going to be doing the exact opposite. Not being a minister of life, but a minister of death. Things are not going to be fruitful they are not going to, to do what God would have them to do, and that is give life, life abundantly. That's what true service to the living God is all about. Messiah says, I come that you might have life, not to bring death, but you look here and it says that you kill and, and the next, next word, many Bibles say you covet, but it's not the normal word for covet. It's a word of envy or jealousy. Being, desiring something and you find out someone else has it. And you want that. You're envious of that. And you take action in order to obtain it, to get it from them. And many times we see that many murders, when people are, are on trial, you find out 
that they were pursuing something and that person was simply an obstacle, a hindrance, and therefore they killed them. This is what Yaakov is revealing. And, and don't think, well, I would never stoop to such a behavior. But what happens is this. When we are not under the authority of the Spirit of God walking in submissiveness to Him, we can see, and this happens so frequently, someone does something, and after the fact, they can't believe they behaved in this way. So do not think, oh, this will never happen to me. I would never behave that way. I could never be led to do such a thing. Once you move out from being under the authority of God, you don't know what you're capable of. How far away from who you really are in Messiah that you can drift. This is what Yaakov is warning. So he says, you kill and you have envy and you are not able to obtain. That's the problem. You're not able to obtain. Now, here's what you need to realize. Oftentimes, those desires that you think they're yours, it's what you want. It comes from what you thought. No. Many times, frequently, it is the enemy that put those desires in you. And then what happens is Satan, he is thoroughly wicked. He is rooted in deceit and lie. And he doesn't want you to get what you want because he wants you frustrated. He does not want you to experience joy or contentment. And by the way, what he puts within you, those things will never give you contentment. They'll never be a source of joy. And oftentimes, Satan, he will remove. It's like putting a, a carrot on a strain, and some animal wants that, that carrot, and it comes to it, and you just keep pulling it away, pulling it away. And what happens? That animal follows after that. And as you pull, you can lead that animal because he's focused on that carrot. You can lead him where you want him to go. And you can lead him right into disaster. That is how the enemy works. When we pursue our will, our objectives, it is though the enemy is, is dangling a carrot in front of us, which we want so bad. And we focus in on that and we pay no attention to what we're doing, where we're heading, what's going on all around us. We become obsessed with achieving what we want, getting that. And when we fall into that downward spiral, again, you would be amazed what people find themselves doing as they come towards the end of their descent. So he says... You kill, you envy, and you do not obtain. And he says, you strive, and this is a word to cause strife. You strive after that, and you quarrel, and you make war, another word for, for conflict, but you do not have. And why don't? On account 
that you do not ask. So he says here, one of the things that, that is extremely problematic is when we pursue what we want and we do so without asking God. So he says, you don't have because you ask. Now, is Yaakov saying this? You mean, in order to get my objectives, what I want, what I'm passionate about, the purposes that, that I want to, to live for, all I have to do is just ask God for them and he's going to give them? Did not say that. He says, but you didn't ask. You didn't bring this before God. You didn't say, God, may I have this? Is this something good for me? Is this your will? We don't bring it before him. And you know the reason why we don't? Is because deep down we know it's not God's will for us. And therefore, when we're pursuing our objectives, you know what someone does not do? When they pursue their objectives, they do not listen to God. They might want God to do that. They might pray to God, but, but they're not listening for a response. They're just kind of throwing that prayer up against the wall and see, see if God will, will take hold of it, receive it. When deep down we know this is not from God. This is not his purpose for my life. So he says, look again. He says, on account, you don't receive it. Why? On account, because of, you do not ask. And then he says, you ask, but you do not receive. Why don't you receive? Because, and pay attention to this next word, it's the word kakos. Now, I say that because if you're wise, you'll do a word study on that word. And the, the base meaning of it is the word evil, of evilness, of that which is apart from that which is good, that which is related to God's will. So God's not going to give you something that is evil, meaning apart in contrast to his will for your life. Why? Because God gives that which is good, and his will is the best thing for you. So do not be so foolish as many people are, that, that God has a plan for my life, and I say, well, I, I just want you to hear what my plans are. No. Forget your plans. Seek the purposes of God for your life. So he says, you ask, verse 3, but you do not receive. Why? Because evilly you ask. What does it mean, evilly? Pay real close attention. In order that in your desires you squander, you waste. Now, this word for wasting or squandering is the same, same word we find in the book of Luke in the parable of the prodigal son. Remember, he gets his, his inheritance, his portion, and instead of doing something wise with that money, what did he do? He departed. He left his father's presence. He went to a faraway country, and there he squandered it all on what? On ungodly living. So this word for squandering or wasting, this is what happens. When we pursue our own interests, 
Apart from the revelation of God, apart from hearing God's guidance in our life, what are we doing? We're pursuing that which we're passionate about, that which we have strong desire for. But the problem is that that is of evil. It's in conflict with the will of God. And therefore, notice what he says. He says, you do not receive because you ask evilly of evilness, an evil intent, in order that in your desires, you want to get something. You have desires. And what are you going to do? It is all wasteful. If God were to provide it, what you're going to do with that? Is that anything that is of glory? Not anything that's going to be a blessing to someone else? No, you are simply going to squander, waste what God has given you, his resources. So you shouldn't want to be part of that. Do not be deceived by the enemy. The enemy wants you to live out your life in a wasteful, just squandering the days that God has given to you and the resources that, that you have access to. Don't be deceived. Do not squander those things that, that can be used for the glory of God and for a blessing to others. Verse 4. Now he uses a term, he says, adulterers and adulteresses. Now, what's he speaking about here? Why does he use that term? Well, in the prophecy, adultery, more often than not, is used for idolatry. And this probably is what he's referring to here. Those people who turn away from truth and they are deceived by false religious principles. That which is not rooted in the word of God. Now, when someone stands up and they're not dealing with scripture, they're quoting other books, they're quoting individuals, they're telling stories, anecdotes, and such. These people, they are wasting your time. So frequently today that some of the most popular individuals within, within Christianity they simply are, are speaking a, a message that is positive for the purposes of humanity, what man wants, not what God wants. And you can fill stadiums, you can sell hundreds of thousands of, of copies of books, but none of that is going to bring a godly change and eternal change into your life that you're going to be pleased with for all of eternity. These teachings do not bring you into access to the promises of God, true blessings from heaven. So we need to be very cautious of, of our time. Do not give yourself over to teachers that are, are simply there to try to motivate you, to make you feel good about yourself, those who sensationalize things in, in society, the word of God, only for the purpose of getting into your pockets in order to lead you in a direction that, that God does not want you to go. So he warns, he says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know, and what 
an important truth here. He says, do you not know that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Now, when you are a friend of this world, and let me tell you one very common expression of, of friendship with this world, and that's all of those who are concerned about climate change. Let me tell you, man in our power and our activity is not going to bring about the destruction of this world. Just relax about that. It's not going to happen. What's going to bring about the destruction of this world? The loss of, of most things, the wrath of God. So yes, we can be good stewards of the resources of the planet that we live in, but to become obsessed as more and more politicians are with this world, why are they so friendly with this world? He's going to tell us. Don't, don't listen to me, just read the text. He says, do you not know? And here's the tragic thing. Many, many of those who teach the Bible don't know this. They don't teach this. They don't understand it. He says, adulterers, adulteresses, those who are not faithful, they are not displaying fidelity to the word of God. He says, do you not know that friendship of the world, it is what? Amity of God. It makes you an enemy from God. He says, look at the second part of verse 4. Therefore, whoever desires, he makes it very clear, whoever desires to be a friend of this world, it says, an enemy of God, he is, is appointed. So when you say, I'm a friend of this world, when that is the description of you, you have made yourself, God has appointed you, he has acknowledged you as his enemy. These are sobering words. We are not supposed to be so concerned about this world, but be concerned, be committed to, be passionate, be dedicated to the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know of, of any teachings of Messiah when he called us to be something even remotely related to what these who are embracing climate change are, are talking about. All of this is nothing more than satanic deceit to get you away from biblical principles, getting you away from doing what God would have you to do, not being committed to the instructions of God, the commandments of God, and again, I know that many of the commandments deal with agriculture, deals with, with the land, but not at all from the perspective that these, these people who teach climate change speak to. So once more, he says, do you not know, middle of verse 4, do you not know that friendship of the world, being a friend of this world, is enmity with God? And therefore, whoever desires to be a friend of the world, an enemy of God, he is appointed. Verse, verse 5. Or, you know, or do you know that the scripture, and it's asking it in kind of a, a, a question way. 
Do you not know that the scripture, I mean, is, is, do you think that the scripture is, is empty or, or is written in vain? He says, or do you think that the scripture is, is vain where it says, do not envy, why not? Now, this envy that he's speaking about here is being envious of the things of this world having a desire pursuing that envy is going to lead to behavior and he says does not the scripture speak don't you remember what the scripture says because the way that you're acting is as though that you do not know the scripture you think it's it's empty it's in vain but what does the scripture say it says but but with envy the spirit that dwells in you yearns. So there is the spirit of Messiah that dwells in you. And when you are pursuing the things of this world, making yourself a friend of this world, the spirit of God that dwells within you is envious. Why? And this is an envy in a positive way. Because... He wants the attention. He wants you to be committed to where he's leading, his illumination, where he is, is wanting to take you. So when we're not, the Spirit of God will become jealous. And he says, but there's a solution. What is that solution? Look now to verse 6. But greater is, is he who gives grace. Greater is, is God, the one who gives grace. Therefore, God says, and this is a, a big one, what we're going to see in this verse. We're going to be given instruction. And, and one of the things that, that we need to realize is that there are actions that if we do them, God will bring about a result. Now, we know in our, our lives in this world, for example, if, if someone puts a, a stumbling block in front of someone and that someone does not see it, we know that putting that stumbling block is going to cause someone to fall. We can anticipate that. There's a cause and effect. Certain actions bring about these type of results. Now, the same is true spiritually. Let me give you an example medicine. Do you know that there's a great deal of medicine and it's used to treat certain problems, diseases, conditions, and the, the manufacturer, the doctors, the researchers, they do not know why this medicine brings about this result, but because they observe it, they know. If a person is struggling with this condition and they take this medicine, it is going to help them. It's by trial and error. Now, what we need to realize is this. God's word tells us that if we do certain things, that God's going to respond in that way. This is going to be the outcome. Sometimes we can't see. The, the logic in this, how that brings about. If I do this, how that brings about God to do that. doesn't matter if we, we understand it or not. 
That is what the Word of God reveals. And we're coming to one of these in a moment. So we find here that, that God is greater than the envy, the jealousy, the, the unrighteous desires within us. And he can do something to bring about a godly change. And what is that? Well, he says, but greater is, is the one who gives grace. Now, this word grace is going to appear a few times in, in the next few verses. And grace does more than just save us. Yes, by grace, one is saved. It's a free gift. We don't earn it. We don't perform in order to acquire it. It is a gift. But grace also just doesn't save us, just doesn't get our names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It does that. But grace does more. Grace brings about a change in my life. So we read, greater is the one who gives grace. Therefore, God says, notice, he says, submit. Now, he says this. Let's go back to this. He says, God says to the, the proud, it says that, he says that he will oppose the proud. I want to get this right. Therefore, God says to the prideful ones, it's in the plural, to the prideful ones that he will resist. But in contrast to that, to the humble ones, he will give grace. So here's the principle. When I humble myself, see myself, as I should, according to the revelation of God's word, when I embrace his standards, it is going to bring about humility. And when I am humble, that is going to bring about God giving grace. Pride will not. Pride, we see that God's going to resist that one. Pride is going to cause God not to be involved in that person's life in a beneficial manner. Pride is going to bring about God's judgment, his discipline, or his, his judgment. So verse 6 says, Therefore, God says to the proud ones, resist. He, he says to the proud ones that, that he's going to resist them. But to the humble, he will give grace. And now, look at verse 7. This is the verse that I was referring to. Therefore, he says, Submit to God. And the implication is you surrender everything. You submit totally to God. That's where wisdom is. That's what humility will lead you to do. That's the correlation. Pride, God will resist you. Humility, God is going to work in your life. So he says, Submit yourselves to God and resist, stand in opposition to the devil. Now, these two things go together. When I submit myself to God, by doing so, the outcome of that is that I am posing, I am standing against the devil. And notice the word devil here. In the Greek language, it's the word uh, diablos, which has to do with one who is diabolical. 
the devil, Satan, he's smarter than you. And the only way that you will not fall prey to his schemes and his weapons is if you submit to God, entering into that new covenant, being filled with the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, walking according to the Spirit, implementing the spiritual truth of the Word of God in your life. So he says, submit therefore to God and resist the devil. And what happens when you, and here's another principle, when I resist him, when I stand in opposition to him, what does the scripture promise? It says, and he will flee from you. So the, the alternative, and not always in the scriptures, the alternative true, but in this case it is. When I resist the devil, he flees. But when I don't resist him, that is an invitation. It encourages him to come and begin to, to attack me. And here's the problem. Many times, we don't understand these as attacks from the enemy. They are our temptation. And sometimes temptation is readily known. Other times, it is a type of seduction that we see and what we see we like. We want. We go willfully there. We are being led like a lamb to the slaughter. So, so don't be deceived. Pride, he says, pride will cause you to be deceived, but humility will bring insight into your life. So resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, the question is, how do I resist the devil? Well, he's going to tell us in the next verse, our last verse. He says, draw near to God. Now, one of the best ways, in my opinion, that one draws near to God is by reading and studying and praying the book of Psalms. Just that simple. Make the book of Psalms a daily event for you. Every day, read Psalms, study them, pray through them. So we read, look again, verse 8. This will be our last verse in this study. He says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. So if I want God active in my life, I just draw near to him. And drawing near to God, by the way, the word for for drawing near to God is rooted in the same word in Hebrew. I realize this is Greek, but, but there's a message here. The word for sacrifice or an offering, the Hebrew word korban, come from the same word for drawing near. So it's with a offering, a sacrifice, that one draws near to God. It's a statement and an act of obedience, of faithfulness. Now, we're not saved by obedience, but faith produces obedience in our life. And it's that obedience that draws us into a greater experience with the presence of God. So he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And when you draw near to God, you know what's going to happen? When you draw near to God, 
you are going to be convicted of those things that you ought not have in your life. And you're going to want to get rid of those things because you're going to be drawing closer and closer to a holy God, a righteous God, a glorious God. And as you see his holiness, you are going to understand your unholiness. And all of that is, this conviction is to bring about change so that you can see yourself and what you need to let go of. You need to see what you need to get rid of in your life. And that is, is expressed in, in the phrase that you cleanse hands. Oh, what? Oh, sinners. Now, God doesn't reject a sinner. That's why he sent his son into this world. But, but the sinner, if he's going to draw near to God, he needs to acknowledge something. There is dirt upon my hands, and I want to be clean. And that's why I said I was in a discussion with an individual, and, and this individual happens to be someone who is highly supportive of the, the homosexual agenda. He himself is a homosexual. And he says, I want to ask one question. What was that question? Will there be any homosexuals in heaven? Now, in order to answer that, and we'll give a clear answer to that, but we need to understand the implications to it. Everyone who is in heaven was formerly a sinner, a sinner saved by grace. So obviously, there are going to be those of every variety of sin, every manifestation of sin, including homosexuality, that will be in heaven. So homosexuals do go to heaven. Well, here's the key. Just like any sin, we don't need to treat homosexuality different, although the scriptures do say it's an abomination. It is something that God singles out and calls a little bit different than all other sins. He calls it an abomination. But here's the truth. No matter whether it's homosexuality or, or, or sexual promiscuity that's heterosexual or whatever sin, when confronted, when I read in the scripture, thou shalt not commit adultery. And I say, I don't care. I'm going to commit it as much as I want. I don't have a problem with it. This is who I am. God can either accept me or reject me. He should reject you because you rejected him, his gospel. Part of the gospel is acknowledging one's sinfulness. Now, we may still struggle, and we do, with sin after being saved. Of course, people can be a variety of different sins, every different sin including homosexuality. But you have to acknowledge, just like an adulterer, just like a thief, just like a murderer, just like anyone else that's a sinner. This sin is wrong. God is not glorified by it, and I have to acknowledge it, and I have to want to turn away from it. You say, but in the flesh, it's hard. I, I like that sin. It gratifies my flesh. Yes, but you need to realize and acknowledge it's sin. And now, 
as a child of God being forgiven by the blood of Messiah, I understand I have to turn away from that. Will you struggle? Sure. Will you fail at times? Probably. But if you will not acknowledge it as sin, you will not be saved. You have to agree with the standards of God. So we read here, you cleanse your hands, O sinners, and purify your hearts. Literally just says, and purify heart. So we're supposed to have a pure heart. And the heart, what does the Bible say? As a man thinketh in his heart. We need to have pure thoughts. And if we're saying, oh, that, that activity, I don't care if the Bible says that. It, it's, it's fine in my eyes. That's impurity. That's not what we're called to be. And what's the problem? Well, we're going to look at one more word, and then we're going to wrap up. Here's the problem. It is being, what's the last verse or the last word of verse 8? It is a word for, for being double-minded. Having a, a soul that is divided. That's literally what it means. You have a soul that is of godliness and a soul that is of sinfulness. Double-minded. You think both ways. And when that's the case, when you think according to the world and according to the kingdom, you're really not thinking according to the kingdom. Those who are double-minded, as we'll see, they will not receive anything from God. So it begins with saying, I'm going to submit, and submitting means acknowledging God's standards. I struggle with them. They're difficult, but I acknowledge them. And when I turn towards them, God is going to empower me. When I turn back to them, God forbid, then I'm going to fall under the influence of the enemy. And as I walk and embrace and move closer towards sinfulness, it is going to weaken me spiritually. It is going to confuse my perspective. And therefore, I will be easily manipulated and defeated by the enemy. What does that mean? I won't have a pleasing testimony. I will not be accomplishing the things that God has given to me. So ask yourself, do you really want to grow spiritually? Do you want to be a mature believer? I think the problem today, and I'll close with this, is that too many believers... They, they just want to think that they're going to be in heaven, but really, they want to live in this world. And, and the worst thing is when people believe a false teaching, and that is that God is, is here in my life in order for me to get the gratification of the things of this world. That is most, most deceiving. But we hear a great deal about that today. In many of the most popular books, some of the most popular teachers, beware. Be individuals that study to show yourself approved. We'll close with that until next week when we move into the second part of chapter 4. Until then, Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. 
Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.